You're listening to SequelCast 2 and Friends, a proud part of the Greenlit Podcast Network. This is a vintage episode of SequelCast 2 and Friends. Audio quality may not be up to current standards. We apologize for the nastier audio artifacts. I think the main question that people have is, the creature, what is it that you want? Fred, what we want is, I think, what everyone wants and what you and your viewers have. Civilization. Yes, but uh, what sort of civilization are you speaking of, creature? The niceties, Fred, the fine points. Diplomacy, compassion, standards, manners, tradition. That's what we're reaching toward. Oh, we may stumble along the way, but civilization, yes. The Geneva Convention. Under chamber. the credits roll, there's always more to tell. Especially when the video sales are doing really well. From shock treatment to Jason X to Police Academy 6. This is Sequel Cast. And they are unsurpassed at following a franchise until the better end. This is Sequel Cast. And your hosts have asked that I inform you that the show will Hello and welcome to the Sequel Cast. The Sequel Cast is a show that looks at movies that a franchise one film at a time. We are wrapping up our look at the Gremlins duology with Gremlins 2, the new batch. Man, oh released, man. Yeah, released in 1990. That's Thrasher. I've been waiting for this uh, to do this movie for a long time. <laughs> and um, you can check out our website at SequelCast.com or go to Facebook.com slash SequelCast. Our theme song is written and performed by Mark with a C. You can check him out at markwithac.com. And uh, very recently, SequelCast has become part of the uh, Battleship uh, Pretension Podcast fleet, which means we're part of a roster of uh, you know other great film and TV podcasts on there. So you can check all that stuff out at Battleship Pretension as well. So uh, that's all the plugging for now. But uh, for yeah, now. yeah. <laughs> Stay tuned later for more plugs, but no. Uh, in in all seriousness, it's a real treat to be part of the Battleship Pretension fleet with SequelCast. It'll give us a lot of new listeners, and they have such a great network of shows. It's just fun to be on with them. So, uh, Gremlins Two: The New Batch, uh, released 1990, directed by Joe Dante. He also directed the original, written by Charles S. Haas, based on characters created by Chris Columbus, starring Zach Galligan, Phoebe Cates. John Glover, Robert Prosky, and Christopher Lee. Music, again, by Jerry Goldsmith. Cinematography by John Hora. And uh, off a budget of $50 million. In the U.S., this only grossed $41 million. I'm not. I don't have any information about the international gross, but it did well on video, but, you know, it wasn't the smash hit in the theater that the original was. Uh, when did you first see Gremlins 2, Thrasher? Uh, I believe I saw it the summer of 1991. It came on, it was on, I think it was on HBO, and for whatever reason, myself, my brother, and my sister, we just glommed onto this movie. This was our favorite movie for about two years after that. I saw it on uh, on videotape. I, I distinctly recall my uh, my sister and I were left at our and an uncle's house, but our and an uncle weren't there. They just kind of rented videotapes and let us fend with the fend for ourselves <laughs> with the TV, as they went out uh, to dinner or something. It was quite a few hours. I'm not sure what my parents and my aunts and uncle were doing, but anyhow, we one of the movies we were left with was Gremlins 2: The New Batch. I think the other one was the uh, Flintstone movie. That's kind of a James Bond knockoff. 
a man called Flintstone. Oh yeah, yeah. Classic yeah, bit of, uh, uh, a bit of uh, a Hanna Barbera animation there. Right, but uh, yeah, Gremlins two, the new batch. So that's when I saw that for the first time, and the tone is certainly um, more cartoonish and over the top than the original. And watching this, I'm a bit surprised why they never tried to do like a Gremlins animated series. You think with those characters, a cartoon series in the 80s or 90s would have been a natural. It's practically begging for it, and, and Warner Brothers television yeah. animation was just skyrocketing in the 90s. Right. I wonder if that's something that was ever considered along the along the way. Oh, it had or to have been. I would think so. And, uh, you know, Gremlins 3 never got off the ground, although there was talks of them doing it over the years. And uh, maybe we'll see a Gremlins reboot coming up. Who knows? I would I would love to see a Gremlins three provided it used no CGI and all practical effects and puppetry. Which is <laughs> why I think a Gremlins three in that style would be unlikely as cool as that would be. Um, so Gremlins two, where do we begin? Well, with this film? I, I gotta give him I gotta give him credit for not just trying to. To, to remake the original you know it's it's not gremlins it's not monsters in the suburbs now it's monsters in a towering big city skyscraper and it's just wall-to-wall satire of everything that was going on in the early 90s and late 80s but but early 90s it's nice that they take it outside of kind of the suburbs and the christmas settings of the original onto onto something new i mean because they're you're in a building that's home to a corporation that among other things has its own cable tv station there's a really a lot of uh you know different sort of things you can make fun of and so forth and there's a lot more gremlins and gremlins to the new batch they, they than the original really up the stakes and just pack in more more and bigger stuff I, I like I like the, how often I mean they really take advantage of the fact that it's set in a uh, a big corporate high rise that's being used in part as this as the seat of a cable television empire because there's constant television parodies going on throughout this film which is as somebody who who's who's uh, absorbed as much media as I have I love the sheer amount of television parody that goes on in this. Yeah, and it's worth mentioning, you know, this Gremlins 2 came out in 1990, so six years after the original. In between Gremlins and Gremlins 2, Joe Dante directed a lot of TV and movies. He directed a film called The Explorers. Oh, I love that movie. That's still one of my favorites. Uh, that's the Space Camp one? Uh, no, the Explor- no, the Explorers is the one with River Phoenix where this this kid who's a real this kid who's a real sci-fi nerd, this nerdy kid and the tough guy kid with the troubled past they start getting these telepathic messages beamed into their dreams from from an alien intelligence, and it's showing them how to build a mechanism that will make faster-than-light travel possible. And they make a spaceship out of uh, stuff taken, like an old wrecked carnival ride. And, like, the last... Like, it's, it's really great the way the movie builds. Like, the last third of the movie is just wall-to-wall sci-fi amazing but everything before then is kind of like light-hearted fantasy and it's also full of in-jokes there's a there's this there's a star wars parody but it's star wars if it was filmed in the 1950s complete with like looking like technicolor and there's just all these references to earlier drafts of star wars that we didn't get to see such as the main character being called star killer and uh stuff like that 
Yeah, you know, I've never seen Explorers, but looking at some of the other Joe Dante stuff, he directed episodes of the 80s Twilight Zone series and Amazing Stories. You need to see, did, you need to see Explorers, because like, I, I should, love yeah. the movie, and it's still one of my favorites. I'd really like to hear uh, from somebody who's never seen it going and seeing it as an adult. Right, that'd be interesting. Uh, Inner Space, I've certainly seen. Uh, and also, Dante is one of the many directors on the... Um, so like a, a film that's sort of a, a series of comedy shorts called Amazon Women on the Moon. Another one of my favorites. I've got I've got a busted up old VHS of that. <laughs> and right before Gremlins 2, the new batch, he directed The Burbs, starring Tom Hanks, which I've seen, but I recall very little about. Um, Corey Feldman is in that as well. So we've talked a bit about what Joe Dante did in between Gremlins and Gremlins 2. Now back to Gremlins 2, uh, the new, new batch. batch. It, so, I mean, they could have done a sequel and followed different characters, and it's interesting you follow Billy and Katie again, played by Zach Galligan and Phoebe Cates, respectively. Which is a nice touch. It would have been it would have been yeah. way too easy to make Gizmo and the Gremlins the only continuity linking the films together. I like that we get the, the principals back. And I'm sad you see Mr. Wayne, the uh, owner of the Asian shop, die. But it's sort of, you know, Gizmo is kind of escaping as the... Um, Chinese store gets uh, taken down. Didn't he have a nephew in the first film? He did. He had the little kid with the baseball cap. That, what? Uh, what happened to that kid? Did that kid decide to run away from his mystic home? Or what? You know, maybe he was staying with uh, with Mr. Wayne for the summer. There's, I don't know if it was his son. You know, oh, with that's the age true. It could have been a Christmas difference. Thing. It could have been, yeah, a holiday thing. Stay with Grandpa at his wacky shop. But that's a good question. That could have been a nice. Call back. Have they done something with that? Yeah, the key kind of uh, showed up at the end, kind of grown up. Uh... And you know, it just happens to be both uh, Billy and his fiancee Katie work at Clamp Enterprises, which just the way the logo looks is very clever. I think it's meant to be sort of a takeoff of the whole Donald Trump. Yeah, it's sort of thing. It's about. I would say it's probably about seventy percent Donald Trump, thirty percent Ted Turner. And uh, John Glover playing uh, Clamp is just so good at being so sleazy. He's a perfect asshole. <laughs> he is, and he's he's a huge asshole. And if you see uh, the DVD and the Blu-ray, have some deleted scenes with a lot more Daniel Clamp footage. But he's a positive asshole. Although I love that bit where like where, where Billy's got like the concept artwork for that planned community, and he's looking or, and he's looking at that as like, oh, but we don't want trees. When people see trees, they think Dutch elm disease. Oh, I hate those conversations. And yet those conversations actually happen in real life. Yeah, there's lots of really well-observed things in here as well. <laughs> and, uh, you know, even though the, the gremlins come back, so to speak, it's not the same gremlins as the original, even though they're all still spawned off of uh, Gizmo. Gizmo, the Mogwai. Yeah. I mean, so do you think that's smart that they don't... I mean, how could you bring other gremlins back, or is it because... Well, you're putting water on the same creature. Could like a, a twin come out? I guess you could do a twin, but I mean, they they did kill off all those original gremlins. It would have been cheap yeah. to come up with a convoluted because like, that's the thing. This is a movie that has a lot of fantastic and over the top things in it, and having a character that's that was killed in the first film come back in any way, even if it's just by coincidence, a gremlin that looks and acts just like them. That's the kind of thing that just crushes the suspension of disbelief. Yeah, and one thing about the film that bothers me a little bit is you get a gremlin that drinks a uh, 
a brain serum and he talks with the voice of Tony Randall. Oh, Tony Randall. Uh, I mean, it's a great voice, but just seeing a gremlin talk, even though you see, like, uh, Gizmo talks a little bit, and you might have had a gremlin say a brief line or two in the original, just having one be smart and talk in this real posh accent really annoys me for some reason. I, I've That's interesting, because i I got to disagree with you. I think it's fantastic that we just get one gremlin who talks and is very eloquent, but he's still just as much of a sociopathic monster as all the other gremlins. I think I think that juxtaposition works so well. It's really nice to see Robert Prosky in this movie playing Grandpa Fred, oh, yeah. looking just like he did on the Munsters. Which is, uh, was he was he the new Grandpa in the Munsters Today spinoff? Because remember the because the original Grandpa was played by Grandpa Al Lewis. That's where he got the nickname. You know, I don't know why I thought he was Al Lewis. Doesn't he look like him? He, oh, he looks Plus, a hell of a lot like him. And that's yeah, I'm sure. Okay. Because, that must be what I'm because, getting confused with then. even Al Lewis did, like, uh, in, in the late 80s, uh, did a, hosted a monster movie show in character. Uh, so I think that's what they're trying to evoke. And they probably couldn't get the real Elvira for whatever reason. They didn't want to mash those two franchises together. It's kind of surprising. You think you could have, but it's... Well, you could have, but I think that would have been a distraction because Elvira, like, I think that would only work if you didn't hire her. Instead of Elvira, it was Cassandra Peterson as Elvira. If she broke character and lapsed into Cassandra Peterson, I think it would have worked perfectly because the only thing in this movie that should be heightened are the gremlins and, to an extent, clamp. Everyone else play. That's the, the, another strength in this movie. Everyone's playing it pretty straight. Even Clamp is overall pretty straight. Uh, as you pointed out, they're real conversations. Even the corporate crazy stuff he does isn't all that far removed from actual like stuff that you would, you would hear. Um, so yeah, ha- having a character as heightened as Elvira in this movie, I think, would have broken it down. I would have liked to see uh, John Dreidhold from the first movie make a cameo in this somehow. Well, you know what? That should have been one of the TV parodies they did, is him as Judge Reinhold as his character uh. from Beverly Hills Cop in a TV spinoff. Oh, that would have been pretty crazy. Uh, I mean, just thinking of all the stuff in Gremlins 2, I appreciate, even though it takes place in Manhattan, you don't have too much of like the Gremlins taking over Manhattan which uh, the premise of that is kind of done to death and things like Jason takes Manhattan or Muppets take Manhattan. Yeah, they avoid those cliches pretty well. And you get some a little bit with it outside the building with the bat gremlin, but not not too much. And so I think that that's clever keeping it in one building. And uh I mean I mean just the amount of gremlins you get like the the two gremlins with the kind of googly eyes that look stupid. You get a really neat transformation at the end with the gremlin stripe gets combined with a spider. Oh, yeah. Actually, I think that was Mohawk. Sorry, Mohawk. Stripe was from the first one. I was getting it confused. Yeah. I mean, there, there is, like, there are some tremendous, even before the whole genetic engineering aspect gets brought in, there's a tremendous uh, amount of variation with the uh, the character design on the gremlins and a hell of a lot of character. Mohawk is outright terrifying, and Daffy, the googly-eyed gremlin, he's the joker of gremlins. He is, and you also get things in there like uh, 
What am I trying to say? There's so many gremlins in this damn thing, I can't even keep them straight. You get the, the female gremlin oh, near the end? Oh, yeah. Well, I guess I guess we ought to explain why they get so much variety in gremlins. One of the operations in Clamp Towers is a... Uh, is a is a uh, is there's a bio there's a biotech division and they're doing all sorts of stuff with uh, with genetic engineering. Christopher Lee is brilliant as the doctor heading up the biotech division, and I love that they do these little horror movie references around him. But they've got all these like gene extracts, and it gets discovered once the gremlins start spawning that. If you inject a gene extract into a gremlin, they absorb the genes really well and, and mutate. And so there's a there's like a, a there's a gender reversal serum that co- creates a female gremlin. There's an intelligence enhancer which creates the brain gremlin. There's a recombinated vegetable serum that creates the veggie gremlin. Yeah, there's a lot of all that that makes it you know visually I think a bit more varied than how the gremlins looked in. Uh... In the first film, and although Billy comes back, you know his character isn't as much of a focus in Gremlins Two as it was in the original, with him and his family and everything and his problems working at the bank. In this, the Gremlins are the star of the show, and they really just let loose uh, later into the film. Oh, yeah. And, I mean, you want to talk about something feeling like a cartoon, this is it. Animator Chuck Jones was a consultant on this, like he was in the first Gremlins. Well, it even opens with a uh, a Warner Brothers short. When Bugs Bunny comes yeah. out riding the Warner Brothers shield, it gets interrupted by Daffy Duck, and they have this little, they have this back and forth. And it was meant to set the kind of tone for the film, I think. And I think it works, and... Like I gotta say that that's like brilliant, like fourth wall breaking stuff. If you don't see that coming, it just it just leads to this wonderful mind fuck moment where you really don't know what movie you're actually watching. And you had uh, some very brief differences between the theatrical and the uh, the videotape version of this film. Yes, there's in the original version uh, about halfway through the film. The original version, there's a fake-out where it looks like the film in the projector has broken, which uh, is something that used to happen in movie theaters before digital projection. Uh, and But then, like, you see gremlins, like, they're, they're projected on the screen as shadow puppets, and they're doing shadow puppets and all these little gags. And it's like, oh, no, the gremlins are somehow in your theater. And uh, then, who I forget, who is it that comes out and puts them in their place? Is it the Hulkster? Yeah, it's Hulk Hogan. Yeah, Hulk Hogan then and is the in the audience one. and threatens the gremlin and makes them put the, threatens the gremlins and makes them put the the movie back on. So in the original home video release, uh, of course, you know the you know you, the film the film there's no film to break on the home video. So instead, their fake out makes it look like your video cassette player has jammed. And instead of doing shadow puppets, the gremlins are in the television static doing all their stuff. And then they start flipping through channels, and it cuts to a John Wayne movie, and John Wayne threatens the gremlins <laughs> and makes the movie come back on. Yeah, and on the uh, on the DVD and the Blu-ray releases of the film, I think when you watch the movie, it's the theatrical version with Hulk Hogan, but then you can watch the other version as a deleted scene. And that's pretty so cool. Like, I love that is, level yeah. of detail. And, you know, it's diff- it's not something you'd know unless someone pointed it out to you. And uh, I think I like the, the videotape version better, but maybe that's just because of what I'm used to. 
having them flip through the channels and doing a bit of a shadow play on the static. Yeah, is, uh, you know, I don't know, but it's it's still it's still a great moment. There's it's and it's not the only fourth wall breaking thing. Uh, the other big fourth wall breaking moment when the original Gremlins came out. Uh, a Leonard Moulton gave it a very yeah. negative review. <laughs> and one of the big moments in this movie is the Clamp Cable Network has a movie review show hosted by Leonard Moulton. And he starts reviewing Gremlins 2 using the same exact... Uh, I believe he's quoting his own review. He's just reciting his own review verbatim. And while he's doing it, the Gremlins come up behind him and strangle him to death with film stock. And that was another great moment. Yeah, I heard um, him talk about it on the Doug Loves Movies podcast. Oh, yeah. And uh, Leonard Moulton was talking about how he, it, it took some convincing for him to be in the scene because he doesn't like to do cameos in movies. But this is one that he was uh, he was friends with Joe Dante, and so he was talked into doing it. And, uh, yeah, he's reading the actual review he wrote of the original Gremlins while being killed by Gremlins. <laughs> It's it's a gr- it's a great moment. There's and there's there's references to a lot of oh actually that's another bit the uh, the horror movie show that the that the the uh, that the vampire type character hosts uh, they're they're showing uh, octopus the uh, the film they're showing is like the octopus man which I believe was an early wasn't that an early Joe Dante movie that he did for Roger Corman. It could have been. I don't know off the top of my head, but uh, I believe I believe it was. I believe it was one of his his first films. And if it wasn't him, then it must then it might have been. Uh, oh hell, not Landis. Who's the other guy that's always working with him? Um, you're putting me on the spot there. It's the movie is. Oh wait, I think I have I'm I'm racking my electronic brain to uh figure this out. And of course, you can cut all the dead air uh from this. Nope, but uh, I will say that uh, Gremlins 2 besides the movie, one thing I think of is I had the video game of uh, Gremlins 2 the new batch for the Nintendo Entertainment System. And it had really a colorful graphics for the time, sort of a late era Nintendo game, and was very, very difficult. You didn't get that many lives, you didn't get, um, I don't think you really had that many continues or passwords or anything, but you play as Gizmo the whole way through. And I had my grandma get it for me for my birthday, but almost right before she was about to get it, I was very scared and almost wanted to tell her not to get it, because uh, an advertisement for the game in the magazine had this scary kind of... uh, piece of artwork that I don't think is directly from the film of just uh, Spike standing looking very scary with uh, smoke and a, a, a glowing red background. Hmm. You find what you're looking for, Thrasher? Yeah, actually, it was. I was wrong. It was Rick Baker. Was the guy? Oh, who did, did uh, the special effects guy? Yeah, who did the who did the uh, Octoman costume? Okay. So that that's where that's that point of reference. 
and he also was the special effects supervisor for Gremlins 2, the new batch. So then again, another another instance of, of, of cinema eating its own tail. Oh, God, and the, and the flagrantly drunk Julia Child parody. That's another uh, uh, cable television relic. Folks, I could I do think it is... a whole episode just on the cable television references in <laughs> Gremlins 2. When there's a lot of them, and there's a lot of uh, cameos in the film, too. And like you mentioned in our Gremlins episode, Dick Miller returns. Oh, yeah. As the neighbor in a brief part. He and he's he's all he's all calmed down and uh you know, recovered from the the incidents of the original Gremlin, having a nice vacation. And then wouldn't you know it, Bat Gremlin attack. I mean there's so much places you can go with the Gremlins, it's just I just always find it strange they never tried to do a third one. Oh, actually, speaking of it, isn't a John uh, John Aston? Isn't he the janitor that spills the water on Gizmo? You're right. It's a very small part, but it's, it's a it's a cameo I love to see, and I just I love just him talking to himself. It is the the dialogue of him talking to himself is just very real. It's very well observed. You look at this image I just sent you because talking about images works great on a podcast. Of uh, the Gremlins <laughs> 2 Nintendo artwork. Put it up into the show notes. I will, yeah. It's, uh, that's the picture that scared the crap out of me as a kid. Oh, yeah, the creepy puppet. Yeah. Although, actually, I did play the Gremlins 2, the new batch uh, video game for the Nintendo. Not that good. You know, I thought it was okay. I thought the graphics looked okay. Well, you run around. And, uh, it's, it's really hard. You throw tomatoes at Gremlins, and that's kind yes, of Yes, you do. And But if you get further, you get a... Um, there's a lot of cheap jumps. You can get knocked into pits really easily, and it's from this overhead perspective. Mm, yeah, I do. I do recall that being a bit of a problem. That adaptation. Oh, can I talk about one thing in the movie that does kind of that does does kind of bother me? Yes. Okay, so um, one of the gremlins, you know, gets injected with bat serum and becomes the bat gremlin. Now, mind you, mo- most of this movie actually takes place during the day. So, while the brain gremlin is giving a speech about the bat gremlin, he finds a a skin prote- he finds like a skin protection serum, uh, has, or as he calls it, genetic sunblock, and injects it into the bat gremlin. And that's how the bat gremlin is able to fly outside of the building and attack people on the streets. Why didn't they keep injecting themselves with the genetic sunblock? I don't know. I think how much would you have to inject yourself with? Isn't there a risk of injecting yourself with too no. much of the sunblock? Uh, no, nothing else in in this movie gets too much of any of the serums. And like the and again, the brain's a genius. Even if there isn't any left over, couldn't he whip up some more? It just se- it just seems peculiar that something so useful to the gremlins in the hands of a super intelligent gremlin, that's all it gets used for. It gets used for one bat attack. Hmm. Like, I guess I could understand him holding it back to, like, sort of lord it over the other gremlins, but he already seems to have the gremlins under control, or is at least under as much control as you can have uh, as a uh, super intelligent gremlin, with the voice of Tony Randall. Right. And uh, just, you know, the gremlins uh, in the musical number is real fun, too. Oh, yeah. The, yeah, the movie ends with a show-stopping musical number of the brain gremlin and all the other gremlins singing New York, New York. 
complete with the female gremlin coming out in like a full sequin ball gown, that scene really shouldn't be nearly as erotic as it comes off as. No, and I mean, you could, I mean, it's just a scene just to show off, you know, the pinnacle of what they can do with uh, practical effects and gremlins. They do such a good job with it. Oh, man. (laughs) Just those pouty, scaly lips and those firm reptilian breasts. I never want to hear you say the phrase firm reptilian breast. Um, all righty. Would you rather I say serpent teats? Serpent teats is a little bit better. All right. Serpent teats it is. Serpent teats. Uh, (laughs) I bet they produce venom instead of milk. Hi, I'm Ray, and this is my friend Alex. Hi. And we do a show called No More Whoppers. Between us, we're as old as four RPG protagonists. And now Alex will give us a funny anagram for the name of the show. Uh, Big old knockers. Uh. Join us every month or so on the Greenlit Podcast Network. How does Crazy Taxi stack up against, say, Papers, Please? And what's the one 3DO FMV game that gives Mario Party a run for its money? Find out on Hardcore Gaming 101's Top Games, where we objectively, definitively, and scientifically rank the games you nominate for our ever-growing list. HG101's Top Games, twice a week, every week, right here on the Greenlit Podcast Network. I think you're right. Uh, you know, when I saw this film, and at the end you get sort of a uh, an homage to Rambo as uh, Gizmo... <laughs> Ties the band, the red bandana around his head, and has his super uh, bow and arrow on fire. Because well, yeah, he, he doesn't he see like a clip of one of the Rambo movies. He does see a clip of Rambo: to First Blood uh, Part Two. You gotta become a war. Yeah. God, yeah. The <laughs> what was it? It's like he takes like uh, was it pens and uh, and uh, liquid paper and uses that to make flaming arrows. Gizmo is quite the little badass at the end of this film. He does, and he surprisingly uh, pulls it off. But in that scene, watching it as a kid, you know, I didn't know what Rambo was. So I was kind of confused. I just thought it was him dressing up with a weapon. <laughs> the Oh, and actually, we do get to see, like, we get to see Gremlin Mayhem on an unprecedented scale in this film as they take over the whole sure. building. That bit with, like, I, I love the bit where they invade the frozen yogurt stand. Like, I really liked frozen yogurt as a kid, and I just love seeing them trash that place and, like, get the goo, like, just, like, get the goo everywhere. It's it's just nice and messy. Oh, I love frozen yogurt as a kid as well. And that, and that was a very, like, 90s thing you kind of saw everywhere. His frozen yogurt stores were a new thing. And you can still see them in malls, but it's amazing what they charge for frozen yogurt nowadays. Now it's these kids with their dipping dots and their cheesecake factories. And... Indeed. It's, uh... Just one of those things. Oh, I know In uh, when we talked about the original Gremlins, we talked a lot about how sort of grotesque it is when the Gremlins spawn, when, when, you know, when the Gremlins spawn off of Gizmo and then off of each other. What do you think about the spawning sequences in this film? Uh, I don't think the comments has quite come off uh, quite as grotesque, but I, I always do feel bad for Gizmo. You see him screaming and whining and stuff and kicking his legs around. I do think... Um, out of all the gremlins uh, you see in this one, uh, part of me likes the uh, electric gremlin that forms from the microwave, even well, though it's really just all animated. Oh, no, no, he's, eject- he's injected with, like, electric eel 
serum, and he becomes made of electricity, like a real electric eel. Yeah. So, no, he's awesome. He's, he's all animated. It's a shame he spends so much of the movie trapped in the phone network, though. Yeah, they don't give him a lot to do, but I think it's a neat, different take. All the other ones are practical effects, and it's sort of thinking of, you know, even a gremlin could combine with an energy form to transmute into something else. Well, he digivolved into the uh, energy form. Digivolve, that's a good word. Like uh, serpent teats. Digivolve serpent teats, you learn all sorts of new vocabulary on the sequel cast. We invent more words than any other podcast. And uh, like like other podcasts, we have sponsors. Now might be a good time to talk oh, about yes, them. Oh, yes, if you go to SequelCast.com, you can uh, check out. Uh, we got a Cafe Press store on there, so if you want to get a SequelCast t-shirt, flask, mug, button, mouse pad, what have you, you can do it through the link on there, and uh, every bit you know helps out the show. You can donate through PayPal over at SequelCast.com. Uh, we got some uh, links to Amazon.com in the Buy a Movie section, where you can click on there next time you want to go shopping on Amazon. And we'll get a, a cut of what you get, which helps us out. we got Google Ads, and you can also hear SequelCast on Stitcher Smart Radio. It's an app for your computer or smartphone where it lets you listen to podcast streaming, so you don't have to wait forever for a big download. You can just listen to it almost instantaneously. And uh, SequelCast is on there, and if you sign up at stitcher.com slash SequelCast, SequelCast is automatically added as one of your favorites. Listen to us on Stitcher. Very good, Thrasher. Um, and yeah, and again, as long, the as face- as long as we're at it, we might as well mention that our opening theme is performed by Mark with a C. Yeah, written and performed by Mark with a C, and again, his website is markwithac.com. So thanks, Mark, for that. It's a really uh, catchy theme song. And if you want to check, if you like SequelCast, you might like some of our other shows, Sequel Commentary and SequelCast Special, and you can hear those as well at sequelcast.com. So... Back to Gremlins 2. I have to say, I love the poster for this film. Oh, where it's just the uh, the, the the high back chair with the scratches and the leather and the creepy gremlin hand dusting the cigar ash over uh, Gizmo? Yes. It is nice. Uh... And uh, and I do believe we practically get that scene in the film when, when uh, the brain gremlin kind of does his reveal rotating around on the chair when he addresses the nation to deliver his ultimatum. Yep, and... Just about the poster, it's just very evocative. I just love the scared look in Gizmo's eyes as he's peeking out from a drawer. It is sinister. And, of course, you can see the New York skyline in the back. Yep. Which is, it's a nice, subtle way, more subtle way to indicate that the film's going to be taking place in New York than just having them, like, swarm over the the uh, Statue of Liberty and defacing it or anything like that. Right. I mean, I think they could have gone for a lot of those obvious New York gags, and they don't. No famous original rays or original famous rays or rays famous original. No, no gremlins going and getting a uh, knocking over a food cart selling nothing but fried nuts on the street. <laughs> no gremlins in Little Italy. No gremlins in Little China. Well, oh, sort of. I'm gonna ask. Uh, who, yes. Who's your favorite of the new batch gremlins? I like the electric one. I really like the spider design. Um. That Mohawk gets near the end of the film. I just think there's something about you get the spider legs, and it just works combining it with the gremlin. It, you know, it doesn't look as bizarre as you might think. What do you think? I 
Yeah, I mean, it's 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 pretty much just a gremlin drider, but it is a good a good effect. Uh, I guess, although I would like to see a little bit more of it. I guess my, when it comes down to it, it's really hard for me to pick. When it comes down to it, my favorite of the new gremlins is is Brain. It's just such an articulated puppet and such an amazing performance. You know, I I like that. Just giving him the ability to speak adds so much more to to his character. I could listen to him talk about about uh, executing people all day. <laughs> I just love that bit when like the, like the gremlin baby shows up and he just shoots the baby with a gun. Now was that civilized? No, clearly not. Entertaining, yes, but not <laughs> in the least bit civilized. We want what you have. We want civilization. Yeah, it's uh. <laughs> Really something else. Um, okay, so overall, uh, would you recommend Gremlins 2? What would you rate it out of five stars? I'm going to have to go with the full five. This movie yeah. uh, hits every note just right for me. You know, it, it doesn't try to regurgitate the original movie all over again, but it does raise the stakes. It does make things bigger. It gives us more variety. It is, it's probably one of the last big practical effects films. Just I love the the level of craft that went into absolutely everything in this movie. I think that's a uh, yeah, good point. I think Gremlins to the new batch. I think I'd give four and a half out of five stars. I think it's pretty great. You get a lot more of the Gremlins being wacky and crazy, and uh, yet, you know, I'm not sure if you needed Billy and Katie in the film. They they're not in the film that much, and. In a way, they're kind of a distraction. You could have had more of the, I guess, less more gremlins, less humans, I think, is what I would have wanted. But it's still a really great film and a, a really a sequel, I think, that's far better than it has any right to be. Four and a half out of five stars for me. Oh, before we move on to our other segments, uh, yes. what was your most disturbing scene in this film? Disturbing? Like um, the, one, the one that worked as a horror scene as opposed to a, uh, a comedy scene. You know, I think it's meant as a comedic scene, but I thought this was horrific. Is near the end where the female gremlin approaches the chief of security in a wedding dress. Oh, and tries to like seduce him. And tries to seduce Don't him. Yeah, that just really. Of your feelings. Ugh. It's funny. I thought you were going to talk about the dentist scene. No, is the dentist one one of yours? Uh, no, I think actually, you think works. There, there's lots of run, there's all sorts of running gags in the film about technology not working quite right or being more trouble than it's worth. And so they have these fancy voice-activated elevators. Um, and there's a scene where Katie gets into an elevator and the gremlins have taken over the elevator. So the elevator starts going up and down rapidly, but then the gremlin claws burst out of the walls and are starting to try to grapple her. And that's just a that's just real disturbing imagery. Hmm. Pretty neat. Oh, you know what else I love? The, the, yes. The, uh, the, 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 the voices that they that have installed in the restrooms, like, you know, you're now entering the men's room. And, like, when you leave, hey, buddy, I hope you wash those hands. Hmm. It's just, you know, great moments like that. Oh, yeah, I've got this place loaded with secret passages. I've always wanted to try one. I'm going to try one now. <laughs> God, there's just so much in that film. It, uh, it, is, oh, it is packed. We, you know, it's, it's really packed. we got to do a commentary on this. We could down the line for sequel commentary, sure. Uh, 
So and now we're going to go to pitch the sequel in which we, you know, pitch a sequel to the movie we're talking about, pretending the other sequels didn't exist. You know, in this case, the Gremlins 3 was never made. So we're going to let out our ideas for a Gremlins 3. I'll begin. I think uh, what I would do is have the Gremlins uh, get loose on a on a cruise ship somehow. And you wouldn't have the same, uh, maybe you would have Billy and, and Kate again, but they have kids this time because they're older, and they take their family on a cruise ship. And somehow Gizmo, uh, who is still alive, I don't know how long Mogwise live, sneaks onto the cruise ship. He's not supposed to. Gets water on him. Of course. And, uh, yeah, and you have gremlins, you know, getting loose, but you're in a very small area on this cruise ship. There's not much of the places for people to hide. I think you might go more horrific. And I think you might get a scene where somehow a, uh, a mogwai gets knocked into salt water. And uh, you might get some combinations like with a gremlin shark or manta ray or, or something. So gremlins at sea. Well, Gremlins 3, the, the ocean batch. All right. Well, I think mine would, uh, mine would be Gremlins 3 Bundles of Joy, where um, uh, it all, where uh, you know Billy and Katie are married and they're expecting their first child, only this time the gremlins get loose in a hospital. Hmm. Specifically, they start in a hospital maternity ward and branch out. So, like, there's great fake-outs where, like, you know, early on, like, Mogwai, the freshly spawned Mogwai, have, like, snuck into, like, the, the cradles in the maternity ward, and everyone thinks they're cute. But then they start turning into gremlins, so you have people showing up to look at the cute little things, and then, brah, claws at your face. Uh, and so you get hmm. all sorts of crazy medical mayhem, gremlins abusing medical technology like syringes and like uh, and defibrillator paddles. They can do some real crazy stuff with that. Uh, and I think it all it all ends when uh, uh, it all ends when uh, they uh, they somehow they like lower all the gremlins to the roof of the of the building, and they have like a uh, they have like a uh, like a, a I'm sure there's a there's a there's a word for this, but like a uh, some sort of light based medical thing, not like a tanning bed. Oh no no, they they discover they can bake the gremlins to death with X-ray radiation that affects them kind of like sunlight. So that's the end of the movie. Is they basically rigged an X-ray machine into sort of a gremlin death ray and and fry them all with X-rays, leaving hilarious uh, sk- shocked gremlin skeletons uh, on things. Because it'll it'll print out X-rays like a Polaroid every time they fire it, so you get a hilarious Polaroid of a panicked uh, gremlin skeleton die. Ugh. And I give that one four out of five stars. <laughs> it lo- it, by that part, by that t- point, the, the series has kind of lost some energy. Okay. Um, interesting. You know, now we're going to go into our final segment on the sequel cast, uh, What You're Watching, where we talk about a piece of media, whether it be film, video game, book, whatever, that we've been enjoying over the past week. Matt, what you watching? I don't know what I've been watching, but I've been reading. I, uh, you know, t- took a bit of a long plane flight recently, and I read a book. Is there a gremlin on the wing of the plane? There's not a gremlin in the wing of the plane, but I did get a huge amount of turbulence for being on a big airplane flying into Chicago. I was very surprised by that. I don't like turbulence in planes. Do you? 
I, I, I don't think anyone likes turbulence in planes. I'm certainly not fond of it. I've learned to tolerate a certain amount. Uh, but that's the problem with these bigger planes. It's harder for the for, for the for clouds to miss the bigger planes. Yeah. I so what I've been reading, I finally got the title, uh, is uh the recent biography Steve Jobs written by Walter Isaacson where it came out shortly after Steve Jobs died and uh but he got to work with Steve Jobs personally and a bunch of his friends and acquaintances to write the book. Cool. And it's pretty uh pretty lengthy read. It is can't find the page count. I'm an idiot. Um, it's over 500 pages long. I can tell you that much. It's a very big book. I, I you know, I think the stuff in the beginning where uh, Apple is just getting started is uh, more interesting than what goes on at the end. And uh, the book doesn't shy away from criticism. It appears that Steve Jobs' management style could often be erratic. And he would, he would sometimes, you know, just walk into a room and say, this is shit, your idea is shit, and just walk out. And then later people might come up with ideas and he might call the idea stupid, but then he'll come back a few days later and say, hey, I came up with this great idea and use the idea that he just said was stupid. Oh, I hate that. That he didn't come up with in the first place. But, I mean, still Steve Jobs obviously was very talented and uh, he was actually fired from Apple Computer at one point in the 80s and then later came back into the company and... And if people might not know, he financed Pixar for a long time, the a company that makes movies like Toy Story and stuff. Mm-hmm. And because uh, Pixar was originally uh, a division of Lucasfilm that then got sold off. It has a long and storied history. A uh, very long history, yes. So, but I'd recommend the Steve Jobs book, especially if you like technology. A lot of it talks about his his life, what he learned about design and all this sort of stuff, and... Uh, he wasn't that old when he died. He just was in like his uh, mid fifties, I believe. But he he left a lot behind. I I know I use Apple products a lot, and of course it wasn't just Steve Jobs that designed these things, but he had a hand in all their uh, big products. You like Apple products, Thrasher? Well, I think that's a that's a strange way to to describe it. I use Apple products, but I don't really have. I can't really say I like them because I don't really have an emotional attachment to them. Uh, they they work well for what I they work well for what I use them for, but but I don't know. I, I'm not emotionally invested in them. Hmm. If for, for me, it's it's a, a purely utilitarian relationship. Gotcha. Uh, what's something you've been watching? Well, I actually recently saw a, a, an amazing documentary, uh, Machete Maidens Unleashed, and it's all about it's all about a period from the '60s to the '70s to the '80s where uh, where all these uh, you know B movie and exploitation films were filmed out in the Philippines. It's all about it's all about those movies and their history, and it is an amazing documentary. Joe Dante is actually interviewed. Uh, Joe Dante and John Hmm. Landis and Roger Corman are three of the bigger interviews in this film. So does it show a lot of a uh, a lot of trailers in these films? No, it doesn't show. It doesn't show trailer. Well, it shows clips of trailers, but it also shows lots of clips from the movies. Uh, 
including all the violence and the nudity. Uh, they even talk a bit about how it was done. There's a scene, there's a science fiction uh, movie. It's like one of the Island of Blood movies, which is a trilogy, where there's like a scene of a really graphic surgery. And apparently the way they, the way they did that, it's not a special effect. They just there's a dead pig under the table, and so he's actually cutting into a dead pig, and that's real flesh, oh. and bone, and blood that you're seeing. Wow. It's and it's 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 just it's really great. I mean, it's it's uh, it's very informative. It's if if you're a fan of B movies, I really really recommend checking it out. Well, I think we have time to do another round of these. Uh, what you're watching. Really? Yeah, um, something I watched recently and enjoyed. It wasn't great, but it was interesting. Uh, it was a movie called Jeff Who Lives at Home. And it stars uh, Susan Sarandon is in it. Uh, Ray Don Chon is in it. And so is uh, Jason Siegel and Ed Helms. And uh, it's about these... Brothers who, I guess they're in their like late 20s or early 30s. And the one Jeff, played by Jason Segel, who is a star in the recent Muppet movies we've talked about on sequel cast, uh, is kind of a, a stoner that lives in his mom's basement and doesn't really go anywhere, and his mom is played by Susan Sarandon. And he ends up running into his brother and a whole bunch of stuff happens. And, you know, it's uh, directed by the Duplass brothers, Jay and Mark Duplass. And I had seen um, a movie they did a few years ago called Cyrus, which was pretty interesting. And, you know, I wouldn't necessarily call what they do as comedies. Like, there's funny stuff in them, but also the tone is also serious as well. So... I think I'd recommend. I think it was okay and not great. I think I'd recommend it, but it's um, and it's just sort of like a playful, almost like a storybook tone. It's a, uh, it's a lot of interesting things. What's something you've been watching? Well, let me see. Oh, I recently finished uh, watching the first season of Portlandia. Oh, what did you think? I really, really enjoyed it. It's it's uh, it's a type of comedy I really appreciate. I love, I really love the, the, those sort of fake commercials for local businesses, like the, uh, the artisanal handcrafted light bulbs and the put a bird on it franchise. Yeah. Now put a bird on it became a big joke here in Portland, Oregon, where I live. Uh, I think it's, yeah, I think it's funny. I think it's, you know, you you don't have to know about the city of Portland, Oregon to like the show. I think you, uh, everyone knows someone that's a hipster or people that act like that. And it, and it taps into that a lot. Mm-hmm. I, uh, yeah, I've seen some of season two and season two gets better than season one was as a sketch show. It can be hit or miss. Uh, well, that's they, just the nature of sketch shows. Yeah. And I think they do a good job of uh, not making sketches last a really long time. I don't think they necessarily overstay their welcome, and you get a lot of cameos in there as well. And, uh, I believe in season two, Jeff Goldblum makes a cameo. Excellent. And what, season one had Steve Buscemi was in a show, right? Uh, I don't recall, actually, now that you mention it. Hmm. Um, it's nice to see Kyle McLaughlin in the show, although he has a pretty small part I like that the mayor as the of mayor Portland, of Portland. Uh, gets a few scenes. 
Yeah, no, the mayor of Portland, who is still the mayor as of this recording, although I guess the elections are coming pretty soon, Sam Adams plays the assistant to the mayor in the show. No, I just, I, I like it, I like it when real people get involved in these kinds of shows. Yeah. Um, did you watch that on Netflix, Watch Instantly, or? I, I'm not going to say where I saw it, because I don't want to give any business free advertising. If they want me to mention their name, they're going to have to. They're going to have to let the sequel cast wet its beak a little bit. You like the phrase "wet its beak"? You use that phrase a lot. Okay. I love. Yes, I love the phrase "wet its wet its beak." I like the phrase "fingers in a lot of pies." Uh, <laughs> I like uh, biting off more than I can chew while putting water under a bridge while the train that's on the tracks goes over the bridge and there's a bull on the train that I have by the horns with the bridge, but the bridge is on fire behind me. Hmm. I, uh, yeah, no, I hope you enjoyed our discussion here on the sequel cast of Gremlins 2, The New Batch. You know, it just occurred to me, we were recording this for, uh, for Halloween, but looking at our, uh, at, at our recording schedule, I don't think any of our Halloween episodes are going to be posted until November. So we are now the Simpsons of, uh, podcasts. Yeah, some might spill into November. That's okay. It's the general Halloween time. I think is uh, pretty fair. We do record a bit in advance, you know. But uh, speaking of which, you know, next time on the the sequel cast, we'll be covering a uh, another duology of films that's kind of horror related. We're going to look at the Anne Rice Vampire Chronicles with the interview with the vampire, and then the week after Queen of the Damned. So I think there's a lot of stuff to talk about with those. Excellent. If you want to check out the website, you can go to SequelCast.com or check us out on Facebook at Facebook.com slash SequelCast. For the SequelCast, this is Matt. And this is Thrasher. Sane. Me. <laughs>